Good morning. Hey, I think what we should do before we begin today is just take a moment and pray. We have a big event coming up on Tuesday, and I think it's important for us to pray. So let's just take a moment and pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you and uh, we live in America. We have more freedoms than most of the rest of the world. We have the freedom to vote, to choose our leaders. And certainly that is taking place. And certainly Tuesday is going to kind of uh, determine uh, who's going to be the next president of the United States. We would ask, Father, that uh, we as your children would um, vote, would be good citizens, would pray for those leaders, whether they're local, or whether they're state, or whether they're, they're national leaders, that you would help them to make good decisions uh, for people. And we would ask, Father, for us and our behavior, that we would be civil, that we would be loving, that we would see that we are citizens on this earth in America, but we are also citizens of heaven. So, Father, help us to be good citizens of both kingdoms this week. Help us to um, understand that you have a plan and a purpose for our nation and our country and this world and for our lives. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. But, Father, we pray that whatever happens uh, this week, that... Uh, we would put our trust in you and that we would find our hope in you. And we pray that you would help us to treat each other, uh, whether, whoever, whatever side wins, whoever we voted for, whatever, that we would be loving and accepting uh, of one another. And uh, Father, we just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So... People, sometimes people, and you may have heard them say, it really doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what you do. And they will say, doctrine is, is important, but it's not as important as your behavior. Your behavior is the most important thing. And I just want to say that that sounds good at the surface, but when you think about it, there is a problem with that. Because... Your doctrine, what you believe, affects what you do. Let me give you an example. Paul makes a strong case in 1 Corinthians 15. He say, basically says that if Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins and we are without hope. In other words, Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, it's game over. We have no hope. So therefore, that doctrine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is pretty important. We ought to look at that doctrine and say, that is a cardinal doctrine. If you don't hold to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. So your doctrine does affect your behavior. And you can't say one or the other, it's both and. But your, your behavior should be driven by your doctrine. And so what we want to talk about is doctrine this morning. That's really what we want to talk about. Because when we come to Ephesians 1... Paul has a whole lot of big words and <laughs> these doctrinal words he throws out. Predestination, chosen, adoption. And he says, before the foundation of the world, and you go, okay, my mind is spinning. And we want to talk, we want to unpack those a little bit because they have incredible implications for us. And we want to understand what we're talking about when he talks about this thing of doctrine. So, if you would, I want you to jump to your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians 1. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage. It starts at verse 3. 
And uh, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Remember what I taught last weekend? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? That's how you remember it. Let me start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is a long, long thing filled with a lot of stuff. And the interesting thing about it, it's all one sentence in the Greek. It's not good Greek, and it's not good English, and it's pretty complex. So what we want to do is we want to unpack just one phrase, and, and this is really what he, we want to talk about. He says we were chosen before the foundation of the world, or we were elected. And what does the doctrine of election teach? Okay, what does the doctrine of election teach? Here's what it teaches. It teaches that God chose us before the foundation of the world independent of anything that you or I have done or will do. He just chose us. You say, well, why did he chose us? Well, the scripture says he chose us because he chose us. It's interesting because you go back in the Old Testament and it said that God chose the nation of Israel. And, and the prophet goes on and says, he didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation or the most righteous nation or the best nation. He chose you because he chose you. And so that's the doctrine of election. Now, when you hear that doctrine, immediately uh, you say, okay, so where is that in Scripture? Well, we just read a big passage. Let me read a couple more passages so you can get the idea of how that plays out in Scripture. John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus is speaking. He says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Notice he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 47. I think I used this last week, I brought this to you. But there's a phrase at the end of it that I want you to see. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles 
heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, uh, uh, and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to, for eternal life believed. Now that's the phrase. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now you think about what that's saying. It's saying all that were chosen believed. Now, that's just, this is what happens in Scripture many times. And, and, and Paul does it in Acts a number of times where he'll say, this Jesus whom you crucified, God had a plan to hand him over. <laughs> and so you have the sovereignty of God handing him over, but you have the free will of man who carried out the plan. And so we have these these doctrines sometimes in one verse. And this verse says, and those that were elect believed. Now, some of your Bibles might read in that verse, all who are ordained for eternal life believe. And ordained just means to be appointed. And the idea there is that we were appointed, we were chosen. Now, P Paul says something amazing. He says, before the foundation of the world, we were appointed. Now, this raises questions. And you may be thinking those questions right now. Whether you're in-house or online, you may be thinking, wait, I got some questions here. And you better answer them. And, and here's probably some of the questions that you're thinking. Because a lot of people have thought these questions. You're not the first. You probably won't be the last either. Here's the first question. Isn't predestination God looking ahead, seeing me believed, and based upon me believing, he chooses me? Now some people think that and it sounds, it sounds good. Uh, look at, and, and they'll use a verse like Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, because it, it says this. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So, but the phrase I want you to see is, some people say, for those he foreknew, he predestined. So they say foreknew means God looked ahead. He saw that I would choose him. Therefore, God says, Matt's choosing me, so therefore now I'm choosing him. But that's not what foreknowledge means. And from, think about it for a minute. If, if I'm going to choose him, why does he have to predestine me in the first place? Right? If I'm going to do this, then he doesn't have to do anything in the process. It's kind of a done deal. He's just seeing what I'm going to do. And it's kind of a nebulous choice. Now, foreknowledge doesn't mean that God looks ahead. Think of foreknowledge as foreknew, as foreloved. That God loved you before you were you. Were you. <laughs> I know, it, this is where, where our human minds are hard, having a hard time to understand it. But essentially, that's what it means. That God predestined us, meaning he foreknew and he loved us. He loved you before you were you. He chose you. Paul says in Ephesians, God chose you before the foundation of the world. Well, that, that should blow your mind. And really, uh, well, let me give you a couple of verses. Just so you know, because uh, Jesus talks about this. This is John chapter 6, verse 33 through 37. And I'm going to jump down to 44 so you are aware of it. Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, that seems like, okay, so this is, this is speaking from the human side. We can come to him, and we can believe in him, right? And then it goes on to say this. 
But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. Although all those my father, the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive out. No one can come to me. This is verse 44 of chapter 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. So Jesus is saying is you can't possibly come to Jesus unless he draws you first. Now again, this raises more questions, right? The, the question that some people have raised is this. Doesn't the doctrine of election strip us of our free will? It seems to me that if he chooses me, I don't have a choice in the matter. I'm just a robot. I'm just a puppet. And some people say, well, and they want to say free will is, is really uh, the most important thing. Uh, free will means, right, I get to choose, right? But the Bible doesn't teach a, 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 the Bible doesn't teach a person can, can choose God. The Bible teaches that the, here's the point. We think that freedom means that we can't choose God. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is we don't want to choose God. We have no desire to choose God. We don't have a heart for it. We don't have a mind for it. We don't have eyes for it. We don't want it. It's not something we want to do. Now, this is uh, borne out by Scripture. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one that seeks God. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? Hey, that was me. I don't know about you, but that was me. Um, let me give you an illustration. So let's just say that uh, you're standing there and you're observing an event and people are getting off of a ship and they think they're getting off of a cruise ship and they're, they're going to be walking into, you know, they're going to be walking off the ship to a port in Florida. They, but they're blindfolded. They, they really believe, everyone believes, we're walking off this ramp and we're, we're going to be in Florida. This is where we, we think we're going. But you're watching this and you're saying, wait a minute, you're not, they're not walking off a ramp to go to Florida. They're walking off a ramp to walk into a furnace, a fiery furnace. And you start saying to them, hey, stop. You're walking into a furnace. You're not walking into Florida. No, no, no. We're walking into Florida. They, they blindfolded us, but we're walking down the ramp and we're going to walk into the, the state of Florida. No. You're walking into a furnace. No, 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 you're not. We're not. We're, 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 we're going in this direction. All right. So then all of a sudden you say, well, I got to do something. So you, you pull the blindfold off people and all of a sudden they see the furnace. And they go, oh, man, this isn't Florida. <laughs> this is a furnace. This is hot. This is death. You pulled the furnace off. Now I see it. I didn't see it before. I didn't believe you before. But now I see it. Have you ever wondered why some of your family and friends and coworkers, when you share the gospel and they go, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll see it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Good for you. 
yeah, I, I'm going to pass. Uh, it's it's going to be a hard pass for me. I just don't see it. Some of you remember the day that the blindfold came off. Your heart began to see. Your eyes began to see. And you saw things you never saw before. You know what that was? That was God. It was God taking the blindfold off. That was God opening your heart up. And for the first time you saw the truth. And you have tried to describe that to people who still had the blindfolds on and they don't get it. Right? You're praying for them right now. You're saying, God, take the blindfold off their eyes. Open their hearts. Help them to see. Because unless he does, they can't. Paul kind of summarizes. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of God isn't that what we're talking about they're walking down the gangplank into a furnace and they think that your warning to them is foolishness but your eyes have been opened you see the furnace and it's it's incredible okay well then isn't the doctrine of election unfair to those who who are not chosen. That's probably the next question you're thinking about. But, but why? why? Why does God choose some and not others? Let me give you an illustration. The short answer is this. I don't know. I don't know why. And the scripture doesn't say why. Um, but let me give you an illustration. So let's just say... Again, you're, you're there in, uh, let's say you're in an apartment, you're in an apartment with four or five of your closest friends, and financial times are pretty tight. And you're going, man, we got to find a way to make money, this is hard, this is difficult, what are we going to do? And somebody comes up with a lame brain idea to go rob a business with guns. And you go, no, that's not a good idea. And the rest of the, you know, the rest of your friends go, no, no, let's, I think he's got, there's something, some merit here. And you go, no, I'm out. I'm sorry, I'm out. Not going to do it. Not interested. And they keep, they're working out their plan. They're carrying out their plan. And they, they set a day for the plan. And they're going to do it. They're going to go rob this business. And you, go, you keep telling them, no, this is crazy. This is nuts. Don't do it. This is not a good idea. Somebody's going to get hurt. You're going to kill somebody or you're going to go to jail, whatever. And, but they're hell-bent to do it. So the night before... You lock a few of your friends in a room. The rest go out. They pull the job. They do the robbery. They get caught by the police. They get dragged into uh, court. They're found guilty. They're sent to prison for 20 years. And you go visit them. And the first thing you're, the friend, those friends of yours that robbed that business said is, it's your fault. You should have stopped me. You should have stopped me. Why didn't you stop me? And you go, frankly, you were hell-bent to do this. I tried to warn you, but you didn't want to listen. And then you didn't want to hear. And essentially, God grants mercy to some and allows others to judgment. No one is a victim of injustice here. 
uh, to fail to receive mercy is not to be treated unjustly. God is under no obligation to grant mercy at all. In fact, he's under no obligation to grant mercy to anyone. In, in Romans 9, it says, I will have mercy on whom I may have mercy, and that's the way it is. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Remember who we're questioning. We're questioning God, who is all knowledge, who is perfect in every judgment and every decision he's ever made, who is completely righteous and completely holy, who is all loving, who does not make mistakes. We're looking from a very, very limited perspective with ulterior motives. So I understand the question, but understand who we're questioning. Well, one last point. Well, really two. Well, if that's true, Pastor, if, if God chooses some before the foundation of the world, and because he chose them, they will ultimately come to believe in him, then doesn't that mean that evangelism or sharing the gospel, we, you know, there's no point of it. I mean, if they're going to get saved or going to come to Christ, then what role do we have and why should we even be concerned about it? Let me give you three reasons why we should, and I can give you more, but let me give you three. Number one, because we are grateful that he opened our eyes and our hearts to the gospel. And we want other people to experience the beauty and the joy and the thrill to know that you were chosen by God and that your sins are forgiven. And by the way, it's not for because of anything you've done. I mean, it says he chose you before the foundation of the world. We said that foreknowledge doesn't mean that he's looked ahead. It means he just foreloved. He chose you. But look at, look at uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 17 says this. I love this verse. And... Uh, it says this, I'm sending you to them, Paul, to them, to open their eyes and to turn them from, the dar turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Basically, God is saying to Paul, I'm sending you to, the, I'm sending you to, op to help open the eyes to help them to move from darkness to light, to help them to understand who they are in me. So that's the first one, because we've been a grateful, we're grateful because he opened our eyes. Secondly, because it's a privilege to share the gospel with lost people. It's a privilege that we get. We have been given the privilege of sharing a message that can change a person's life forever. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, verse 8. He says, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul says, I'm the last one that should be preaching this. But I do it. I do it because it's a privilege. We also do it because we've been commanded to do it. Paul, or, uh, Matthew writes in his gospel in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there, Matthew says, and this is Jesus recording to the church, to his first church leader, the apostles, but then to us, 
the, follow, the followers after that time, that we are called to share the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I know if some of you are thinking, well, but we don't know who really is and who really isn't. We don't know who is chosen and who isn't. Now, of course, Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, you know, some of these people, they're not. I mean, it's pretty clear they're not. And I would say this, in the end, only God knows a person's heart. But I will say this, I think one of the best illustrations, and I heard this very early on in my Christian walk, and it really was helpful to me. And somebody has said, and this is the kind of the way I view it, I believe God is sovereign in our salvation. I don't believe I add anything to it. I don't bring anything to it. Uh, if my heart and my eyes weren't open, I wouldn't believe I would, I would just walk into the furnace. That's just what I believe, and I think that's what Scripture teaches. And by the way, there are good, there are good people on both sides that don't hold to this doctrine that we're talking about. Now, here's my illustration that I thought was really helpful. Um, and somebody shared it with me, and I thought it was really helpful. Some people uh, say, well, but, but what if uh, you're sharing the gospel, but not every, you know, who, who is going to believe and who isn't? Well, I don't know, and we don't know. We don't know a person's heart. But I'll tell you what. Somebody said, it's like walking up to the gate of heaven and seeing whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. And you walk through that gate, right? And then you look back at the back side of that gate. And what does it say? One of the chosen. See, we don't know that. God does. It's, not our, it's above our pay grade. It's not our job to worry about that. Our job is just to be faithful to what... Now, what this does is it should do a couple things in your life. Number one... It should encourage you to know that God chose you before the, before the foundation of the world. There's nothing you can do that's going to change his heart for you. He loved you. He loved you before you were you. That's never going to change. There's never a day. There's never a moment. And Jesus came and died on a cross for you so that you could live forever. That's never going to change. So you, you, you should take heart in that and you should be encouraged by that and it should buoy you up but it should also encourage you to say but there are others that he wants to use me as his vessel to bring the good news to them. So how can God use me like he used Paul and Peter and Matthew and, and the, the disciples in the early church? How can he use me? And then to believe that God is working, going before you and working in people's hearts. It's not up to you to convert anyone. My job is just to say, this is the gospel. My job is just to say, you're walking into a furnace. And you know what happens sometimes? The blindfolds come off and they go, oh. I've sat in a number of Bible studies over the years where people basically describe the moment when the 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 blindfolds came off. And they may have gone to church since they were kids. They said, for the first time in my life, I see it. And I go, yeah, me too. I get what you're talking about. And I still pray for the family and friends and the neighbors and the people that I love that the blindfold hasn't come off yet. The heart hasn't been turned yet. And then the prayer I pray is, God, go before me and take the blindfold off, turn their hearts, help them see what I see.
Help them to believe what I believe. Help them to know you and to find life. One last question. How do I know if I've been chosen? It's a good question, right? Some of you might be thinking that. Well, well, how do I know if I'm one of the chosen, one of the elect? Pretty simple. Remember what we said at the beginning? He said, no one, no one naturally is born and chooses God or follows God or wants God. That's not the path that we are. We are unless God intervenes, that's the path we stay on. So if you're on a path where your heart says, I love Jesus and I want to follow God, we're not talking about your perfection, your ability. We're, you know, we're not getting into works here. What we're talking about is your heart, your love, your, 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 um, your eyes have been opened, your heart has been opened, and you desire God. You desire to follow Jesus. That's a pretty good indication that you're chosen. Because if you weren't chosen, you wouldn't have that desire. It's not a natural desire. It's supernatural. That's the point. The Bible teaches you can't want God unless He's working in your heart. Now, here's another thing that I just want to say. Don't just assume, because see, one of the questions we have is, see, I was 18 years old before God started working in my heart. Well, He was probably working in my heart, but I was 18 years old before He took the blinders off. And we don't know how long it's going to take for each person or when that person's going to come to a place. But if they're chosen of God, they will. Could be on their deathbed. Wasn't there a thief on the cross? Didn't he say Jesus? Okay, so I think that tells you you can come to the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th hour, what, the last hour. And so that's not really important. We get all bogged down in these things. Here's what you need to know. God, what Paul says is God chose you before the foundation of the world. And it had nothing to do with you, your behavior, what, what you did or what you didn't do, your church attendance, any of that stuff. It just says he, he loved you before you were you. He chose you before you were you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Not just to save you, but for you to be used by him in this world to bring others into his kingdom. He wants to use you for his glory. You okay with that? Let's pray. Father, help us because without your help, what we're doing is impossible. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us, uh, you've taken the blindfold off our eyes and opened our hearts. You've helped us to see what we could not see. You've helped us to understand things that we could not understand. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. And for some of us, this is a new concept and it's tricky and it seems odd. But thank you, Father, that the many, many times in our lives we were never chosen. You chose us before we even began. You chose us before we were us. You chose us not just to give us forgiveness, but to guide us, direct our lives, use us for your glory. And I pray that you would do that. Father, for those who are here who maybe have heard this before, I pray that uh, if they haven't seen that you would take the blinders off their eyes, open their hearts. 
so they will place their trust in you. And thank you, Father, for the rest of us. Maybe recently or many, many years ago where you took the blinders off our eyes, we saw the furnace, where you turned our hearts for the first time. We saw things we never saw before. We understood things we never understood before. We became your sons and daughters. Help us to live that way, Father. And we give you praise and honor and thanks in Jesus' name.